you don't know what you don't know. Who are the five people that you're hanging around with the most? Because if it's five miserable pricks in a firehouse, guess what? That's what you're going to be. You're going to be the common denominator of the five people you hang around with the most. You know, and today, I don't hang around. And look, it's not, it's not a moral judgment. It's an education. That's all it is. Welcome back to another episode of the First Responder to Riches Real Estate and Mortgage Show. As always, I'm your host, Scott Sarai, and I am so pumped for this week's episode. We were fortunate to have TV royalty on the show, Mr. Dave Seymour. Now, Dave was an immigrant from England as a young man, became a firefighter in the Boston market, started his real estate journey flipping onesies and twosies, as he calls it, transitioned into wholesaling, and became star of the nationwide network TV show, Flipping Boston. He was on the TV show while being a firefighter and had this pivotal moment where he had to exit the fire service. And now he's managing and raising multi-millions of dollars for large-scale developments and real estate holdings. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Let's get into it. Welcome to the First Responder to Rich's Remo Show, the podcast dedicated to helping first responders earn additional income and create lasting wealth through real estate. Each week, we'll break down complex concepts, debunk myths, and interview a variety of industry leaders to help you thrive beyond your professional calling. And now here's your host, top producing mortgage broker, real estate investor, and fellow first responder, Scott Sarai. Hey, Dave. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Scott. Nice. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me, man. Don't believe everything you hear on these podcasts, by the way. I make shit up. Yeah, no, for sure. This one's been a, a long time coming. We had some scheduling conflicts, but I myself, I'm super excited about this one. I've been following your journey and it's always fun to speak to uh, first responders first and foremost, but people, I walk the same walk you walk, fellow firefighters. So it's definitely going to be an exciting episode. So we were kind of chatting before we hit the record button. I know your backstory, but for all of our, our friends and, and listeners here today, give them the goods, tell them who you are and uh, what you're about. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and keep it brief, only I usually don't. Um, I like you have a funny accent. I was uh, I was an immigrant to the States. I came from England back in 86. And um, I was chasing my, my first wife, who was an American. I met her over there in London. I was in school in London. She was uh, on a teaching program from from Indiana, but she was originally from New York. Long story short, you know, we were dating. Seemed like a really good idea at 20 years old to emigrate, get married. And because her brother-in-law was in the Air Force, I was going to join the Air Force. So imagine that one, right? I'm standing in a pub garden with my dad. And I'm like, Dad, I'm going to emigrate, get married, and join the United States Air Force. And he looks at me and he goes, no, you're not. I go, yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Bing, bang, boom. The next thing you know, we're just (laughs) rolling around and crazy to think of those days. Anyway, I landed in in New York City and um, I fell in love with the States. Uh, I fell in love with the speed of the culture. I fell in love with uh, just the chaos. Like I've always always been attracted to chaos, right? If it's chaotic, if it's dangerous, if it's got an edge to it, if it's it's different, I'm into it, right? Anyway, I I bounced around a little bit. That marriage didn't last long. Moved down to... um, (laughs) <laughs> moved out to Wheeling by God, West Virginia. You're going to take this kid from London, right? You plonk him in New York. That's good. It's a big city, right? Fast-moving people, attitude, 
I'm good with that. And then you pick him up and you plonk him down in Wheeling, West Virginia, in the middle of the Rust Belt. And it was all beer bellies, ball caps, and chewing tobacco. No disrespects to my Southern friends, but um, I truly was an alien in an alien nation when I moved down there. Crazy. First buck I earned down there was tending bar in a place called Michelangelo's, which was in Shadyside, Ohio. A shit kicking town. And uh, true story, I'm standing behind a bar and a guy, a guy asked for a screwdriver. So I reached down under the bar <laughs> to the toolbox. I give, I said to him, I said, you want a Phillips or a, or a flathead? And he thought I was just being a wise guy. And he said, no, a vodka and orange. I said, why don't you ask for a vodka and orange, you donkey? Bing, bang, boom. That turned into a fight. That was one of many jobs that I, I ended up losing. But um, in January of 1990, I got sober. Um, up until that point, my life had been pretty chaotic, and it really was because once I started drinking, I couldn't find a good reason to not drink, which kind of ties into my firefighting service. I needed the edge, man. I needed I needed some some bullshit. I needed some paramedicine. I needed some car accidents. I needed some wackos and weirdos and flippers and floppers around me. I needed that, you know, that edge. Otherwise, I was I was pretty discontent. But anyway, I got sober. I got married for a second time. I moved up to the Boston market where I've been now for, what, 30-plus years. And um, a buddy of mine was um, on the fire department, and I was, working, uh, I was working construction, retail security, right? So we used to call it pot roast police, right, because I'd be retail security. And, and that's when cops was just coming out on TV, and it was bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do, right? And I'm like, wow, yeah, it's me, man. I'm going to be 5-0. And I'm testing for, for, for police exams. And a buddy of mine who was on the Salem, Massachusetts Fire Department, Ray, he says to me, uh, why don't you test for the fire department? I'm like, I don't know if I want to be a firefighter. I don't want to catch bad guys. And he's like, you should try it out. You should give it a go. And uh, I took – multiple tests right i'm testing in florida for police department i'm testing for fire department in massachusetts where i lived and straight up two cards came in the mail same day one was for the fire department in lynn massachusetts and the other one was for miami pd <laughs> i'm like i didn't know which way to go and uh you know i took the I took the fire department job not because i wanted one over the other it was logistics i already lived in massachusetts and uh, that's that's how I started, brother. I, I I got on the job. The year that we tested, it was a civil service exam in Massachusetts. And um, so I got on in 96. And uh, the civil service exam at that time, they had restructured it where your written exam and your physical exam was weighted differently. So the physical ability was like 80 or 85% of your final score. And the other 15, 20% was your written exam. So when they, I, I was a bull back then, dude. So I was all set with the physical stuff. You know, the mental stuff, I'm not that smart, but I did okay. I ended up with a blended score of like 100. Yeah. And, totally. uh, well, 99 or whatever. And, and I uh, I got offered the job, so I became a fireman. So, yeah, that's how, that's how I went from being a kid in London to a firefighter in Lynn, Massachusetts. Lynn, Lynn, the city is thin. You never come out the way you went in, right in the middle of the hood. <laughs> that was 1996. You entered the fire department. How long were you a yeah. firefighter for? So I was a fireman for 16 years. And, you know, the fire service and the union 
structures kind of interesting, right? I got yeah. on the fire department. We were a class of uh, how many of us was there? I think it was either twenty, I mean, twenty-eight or thirty-eight. I can't remember. We were a big class, and this is was before you had to have official um, academy under you. You know, firefighter one, firefighter two. We didn't have any of that stuff. They gave us boots and a helmet, and we hung out in the back of a Broadway firehouse. And they taught us how to squirt water, climb ladders, uh, and try not to kill each other or anybody else around us. And, um, you know, the, the, I'm going to be frank with you, brother. If, if the fire department gave me financial freedom, I probably would have still been there. Um, the bullshit, I didn't like it. I wasn't a good employee. I would like to say I was a good fireman. You know, if you ask a couple of guys who were on my engine company, I think they tell you they've got your back. You know, I didn't pussy out. I'd be the first one in and the last one out. But um, the politics and the just the BS of of that world, you know, telegraph. They used to say telegraph, tell a firefighter, right? Hundred percent. Like absolutely. If you, yeah. you know what I mean, like if you if you don't give them information, they'll make shit up, and it's usually going to be negative. Yeah, and that yeah. you know. We'll unpack that when we get through your the chronological story of, of Dave here. Um, yeah. So 1996, you're a rookie firefighter. You're a young guy. When did the real estate aspect kick off for you? Um, I know, yeah. I know, I know the answer, but how did real estate come to fruition for you? Yeah, it's, um, you know, so those first, say, 10 years of the fire department, you know, they were good years, man. Um, I had a kid on the job with us, a kid by the name of Sean Curley who was a lunatic, but he was a hell of a carpenter, right? And I don't know how it is with you guys. I assume it's the same. We all got second jobs, and most of us are, you know, slinging nails or plumbing or electricians or, you know. And um, Curly was looking for guys, and I started to learn the basics of construction. You know, I was I was never a good finished carpenter, but if you gave me a, a sledgehammer and a – you know, a sawzall and a skill saw, I could at least do a little bit of framing. And um, the prop, the big problem I had was, is that coming from a blue collar background in England, my financial literacy scores were minus 10, right? I was a financial literate donkey. And what I mean by that was, was I knew how to spend money, but I didn't know how to manage money. I knew how to spend money. I didn't know how to keep money. I knew how to spend money. I didn't know how to work money. Like I had no concept around that at all. The only thing I was ever taught was, is if you want to make more money, then you got to trade more time. And for a guy like me who got himself into debt pretty quick, you know, I was 2008 and nine, I'm losing my house because I'd refinanced it three times because the scumbags in the mortgage industry who took advantage of us said, you know, you're a firefighter, you, you can refinance your house, you can get out 110, 120% going at a three-year adjustable rate, don't worry about it, real estate always goes up, you can refinance if you can't pay your bills, blah, blah, blah. And I'm I'm hurting, dude. And my my marriage went down the shitter. Um, I was losing my house. And um, that was the closest I came to picking up a drink in all those years. So around 2008, nine, uh, stuff is not going well. And um, I was kind of like pounding on the on the steering wheel of my pickup truck. 
and I figure I'm gonna I'm gonna wrestle with God a little bit. Like I got some issues. You know what I mean? Like I don't lie, I don't cheat, I don't steal. I'm a, I think I'm a pretty decent guy, and everything's turning to shit. And uh, I'm I'm asking for some some guidance. And a commercial came over on the radio, and it was Teach Me Foreclosure, a free one and a half hour seminar coming to your neck of the woods, right? And um, there's a couple of times in my life where divine intervention has popped in. A couple of times in a building when when your ass is grass and you're like praying and you get an answer. And then this time. And um, I had met a couple of investors while I was digging ditches working construction. They had a better attitude than I did. Their clothes were nicer than mine. Their cars were nicer than mine. And they knew something I didn't. And it was kind of like an epiphany for me, a moment of clarity where I went, if I can get the knowledge, I know I got the balls, right? Like my firefighting background showed me that with repetition and drilling and a good team, you know, as firefighters, we can do some pretty, pretty crazy stuff, right? Uh, as paramedics, we can we can genuinely intervene and save lives. Like we got some pretty cool powers, if you will. So that was where it started. I went to a seminar and um, I heard for the first time in my life things around finances that I had never heard before. You don't hear it sitting in a firehouse while everybody's freaking complaining about everybody else, right? You don't, you don't have financial literacy classes in the firehouse. And um, I started on that journey and I believed what these people were telling me. Um, they told me that I could wholesale real estate. I could tro- control a property with a purchase and sales agreement and sell the purchase and sales agreement to another investor. And um, one of the first deals, if not the first deal I did, I made five grand on a wholesale transaction. We'll say 2009-10, right? Everything was shit. Nobody wanted to go anywhere near real estate back then. And I wholesaled a, a bank-owned property because I got some intelligence and some knowledge, and I was actually doing what I was learning rather than just talking about it. And I remember I walked out of this, this attorney's office, and I had a check in my hand for five grand. It was a cold night, misty, manky, dank night up here in, in the Boston market. And I step out. It was like 5 o'clock, 5.30. It's dark. I got a check in my hand for five grand. And at that time in my life, my take-home pay from the fire department, I'm not exaggerating, Scott, was somewhere around $250 to $350 a week because I had child support, union dues, you know, all the other shit that came out of there. I got a check in my hand for five grand. And I'm like, wow. I was waiting for the for the cops to pull up and arrest me. Right? Like, this can't be legal. So that's where I started around 2009, 10 after going to seminars. And I just kept rolling from there, bro. Just kept going. Okay. So I'm going to digress here before we continue with your journey. So uh, for those listening in the States, it's a bit different than what we see in Canada with the wholesale uh, Mm. market. It's not as, for lack of better words, as easy inside of Canada as it is in the United States. So we won't really unpack that today. Yeah. We'll leave the wholesale thing alone. Uh, Dave had mentioned there, and I think it's like in the fire service, we see it every single day at work. I can't speak to other first responder professions because I'm not in it as intimately as I am with fire departments. 
but no one teaches financial literacy. Like you talk to any, any young rookie that we hire nowadays, like they don't know their ass from grass when it comes to mortgages and leveraged investing. Like there's no education component of that in school, let alone in adulthood. And as first responders, we're just conditioned, like show up to work, do your job, do your job well, and you'll be rewarded on the back end with a pension. Now in Canada, our pensions haven't been, exposed like they have been in some states and we haven't seen that we've never really had them come into question for whatever reason but i know in the states as first responders and i was speaking with a a firefighter from baltimore they were watching detroit's pension go bankrupt and now they're worried right so it's interesting to see and hear you talk about the epiphany you had leaving that lawyer's office with that that check for five grand thinking like holy fuck is this is this legal like can i can i do what i'm doing and I know I speak to so many first responders daily and they're constantly just trading time for money. They're picking up that extra overtime shift at work just to keep the lights on their home, let alone not even get ahead or keep their neck above waters. And mm-hmm. so you mm-hmm. had this moment, you had the $5,000 check. Did this snowball for you or did it? Yeah. Here's, here's what I called that check. I gave it, I gave it a, like a classification. That was my, that was my shut up check. That was the check that I I showed to everybody, including my brothers in the firehouse who said I couldn't do it. I showed them the check and I went, shut up, right? That's a shut up check. That's a, you can't tell me I can't do anything check. And for me, it was, um, I used the term epiphany. It was like an eye-opening experience to realize that everything I had known up until that point wasn't a case of right or wrong. It was left or right, right? It's just a different perspective. Why is it I was given one set of rules and regulations, and then I find out later on that there are different rules and regulations? And I'll I'll talk about the retirement because it's the hook, right? The retirement is the hook. In in America, we also have the the 401k program, right? The 401k is the number one retirement vehicle in the United States of America. On average, 75 to 80% of the population is some kind of 401k program with their, uh, with their employers. And what's interesting is, is that that 401k program and also my retirement as a firefighter was sold to me as, um, as the be-all and end-all for financial freedom, right? You're going to work 25, 30 years. You're going to retire. Everything's going to be beautiful. But when you look at the external forces on our retirement programs, that changes the perspective altogether. When, when I left the fire department, after 16 years, there was about, I want to say, two fifty to 300000 in the account. And um, half of that went to my ex-wife because I was, I was, she was entitled to it. It was a great state of tax, Massachusetts. You know, my ex-wife was entitled to 50% of my pension. So I had about 160, 180,000. And um, I knew the guy down at City Hall. He was a friend of mine, the comptroller guy by the name of Ralph Cronin. And I'm going down. I've quit the fire department. I'm going to take my retirement money out of the account. Oh, my God. Nobody does that. What the hell is wrong with you? You can't take the money out. You only ever put money in. So I'm standing there. And Ralph looks at me and he goes, you sure you know what you're doing? I go, yeah. He goes, Dave, I know you, brother. I love you. You're my friend. I, I, I ran the calculations for you. 
He said, you, you take this money out, you can't put it back in again, number one. He goes, and number two, you're going to be giving up $280 a month when you're 65 years old if you take this money out. And I looked at him and I'm like, you don't know what I've learned because I got some financial education. I took that money, I put it into a self-directed retirement account, an IRA, we call them. Um, and it allows me to now direct those retirement funds. And I just put them straight away into businesses and real estate transactions and, and grew my retirement that way. So you don't know what you don't know. Who are the five people that you're hanging around with the most? Because if it's five miserable pricks in a firehouse, guess what? That's what you're going to be. You're going to be the common denominator of the five people you hang around with the most. You know, and today... I don't hang around. And look, it's not its not a moral judgment. It's an education. That's all it is. My, one of the guys from my engine company is now the chief of the department. The other guy from the engine company is now a captain on the department. I love those guys. There's only really two guys left, and we still connect every now and again. I just went to my buddy's daughter's uh, wedding a few months ago, and I look at Skip, who's now the chief of the department, running a $25 million budget, and I'm like, are you happy? You got what? Are you happy? He goes, no, I hate it. I hate this job. I said, then quit. Quit. He goes, no, I can't. Like, you know, the masochism of, 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 of the career choices. But he looks at me and he says, I can't do what you do. I go, what do you mean? He goes, how much is the, the, the job you're doing right now? I say, it's a $26 million project. I just signed a, signed a loan for $19 million. He goes, I couldn't do that. I go, you're doing it anyway. You're just managing the city's money. I said, this is my this is my success or failure. You know what I mean? So that that journey of of taking back control. And that that's the hardest thing, I think. You know, we're sold a we're sold a, a, a story. Well, I was. I don't I can't say we. I was sold a story. You know, my father said, do your eight and hit the gate. Work hard. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't steal. Be a man among men, a worker among workers. Dig them ditches. You know what I mean? And that was because that was what was given to him. But, you know, financial literacy comes with a price, whether you realize it or not, right? What do you pay for the, for, for missed opportunities? So it's uh, been an interesting trip for sure. For yeah, sure. for sure. I think like in Canada, and I'm not saying that the pensions aren't, aren't phenomenal and, and it's not a good way of living. Like, you know, you put in your 30 years, you collect your eight, nine, ten thousand dollars a month on a pension. Like that's mm. that's good money, but is that enough for the lifestyle you want in retirement? Maybe, maybe not. I think there's a select in select group or select subsegment of first responders that mm. they want more, and the mm. 10k is not gonna feed it. Um mm. so before we talk about your exit from the fire department, your wholesaling properties, I'm guessing it's starting to snowball. You got more than one on, on the go at, at, at a time. What did the next couple of years look like and how did Flipping Boston come to fruition? And this is the, the leads buried in this one. Flipping Boston's going to come out in this, this discussion. And I think everyone needs to hear the story. So, yeah, I wholesaled a couple of houses to, you know, 2009, 10. I get a little taste. Um, and I told you, I learned my industry from the seminar world. And it's kind of interesting. Long story short, I was at the – once you get into that seminar world, you know, you're, you're getting emails all the time from, from all over the place, right? 
everyone's a guru. Everybody knows everything. Look at me. Come give me some of your money and your time, blah, blah, blah. Learn this, learn that. And um, there was a uh, – he was a firefighter. He was the captain from L.A. And he was in the seminar space as an educator, as a guru. And he was retired from the uh, from LA uh, LA Fire, and he was on stage and he was selling websites, right? Your buyer's website, your seller's website, and a money raising website. And he was doing this hour and a half pitch in amongst all these other speakers during the course of this this one day or two day event. And when he got up on the stage, he was freaking horrible, dude. Like he had no presence, he had no command of the audience he didn't understand how to read a room and what ruined it for me was his comedic timing was dog shit it was horrible like he didn't understand how to engage and get some some joviality into what he's doing the same from stage watch him laugh watch him cry watch him buy and he was trying to do these things and he couldn't get it done what i didn't tell you was is when i was in london I did some 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 stuff. I was, you know, stand-up comic in some pubs and clubs and you know, I was a bit of a bit of a performer, shall we say. So I went up to this guy, Scott for real, and I, he's like the big guru. And I'm like, yeah, my name's Dave. I'm a firefighter in the Boston market, blah, 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 blah. He goes, Oh yeah, I go, I gotta tell you something, bud. Your comedy sucks. And he looks at me and he's like, Well, I go, your comedy sucks. You're you're laughing at your own punchlines. Before you even tell the punchline to us, you got to let us enjoy the joke. And uh, he says to me, who are you? I go, Dave, I'm a firefighter north of Boston. You're a firefighter, my brother. You know what I mean? I'm pulling the firefighter card. And he says, and you did stand-up comedy? I go, yeah. He goes, you're my new comedy coach. He said, I'm going to fly you down to Florida. I'm going to pay you a thousand bucks, I think it was, to critique my my three-day boot camp that I'm running. I'm like, this guy's full of shit. But he wasn't. And what he did was, was he opened up the doors to the seminar world for me. And once I got on the other side of the curtain, I ended up getting involved with guys who were on a trajectory. Again, the five people you hang around with. I'm now on the other side with all of these, you know, real estate guys and internet marketing guys and stock guys and business guys and, you know, online business guys. And there was a guy called Russell Brunson. And Russell Brunson was the founder of um, ClickFunnels. ClickFunnels. Thank you. So Russell Brunson was in this group, Gary Vanachuk, these other guys that were there. And I started to change, right? My outlook changed. My mentality changed. My awareness of opportunity changed. And Brunson sent an email to me. I wish I still had it. And he's like, this was 2010, 11. Real estate was still shit. And um, he says, Dave, you're a funny bastard. He said, you should interview for this TV show. This production company is looking for house flippers. He said, I know you're doing maybe two or three, four a year, whatever it was. So he sends me this link, and it was an online application. And it was vanilla, brother. It was really dry. Name of your company. How many people on your team? How many flips do you do? Right? I'm like, this is boring as shit. So being around these marketing guys, I had learned that you have to separate yourself from the pack, man. So I'm applying for a TV show, 
and I just loaded the application with profanity, loaded it with profanity. Name of the company was Go F Yourself LLC. You know, tell me about you guys. Shut the F up. Just get on a plane, train, or an automobile. Don't call me. Just come to Boston. I'll show you how it's done. Blah, blah, blah. You know, I fight, I build, I flip houses the same way I fight fires. When everybody else goes running out, we go running in. We got balls the size of King Kong, blah, 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 blah. And I hit send. And the phone rang 15 minutes, and it's 212 area code out of New York. And I pick up the phone. I said, I thought I told you not to call me and to just get on a plane. Click. And I hung up the phone. (laughs) (laughs) I got nothing to lose, right? I got nothing to lose. He calls back. Kid's laughing his balls off. He says, you're either a genius or a lunatic. I said, what's the difference? And they came up, shot a couple of little demo reels. They liked the dynamic. And the note from A&E TV was, we like that big English guy. We think he could get pretty angry. We'd like to see more of that. So that was where it started. We did three episodes. We figured we'd be one and done. We got the highest rating for the Saturday morning slot that they had ever had. There was like a million and a half, two million viewers or something. And then they turned around and said, give us 15 more episodes. And that was it, man. That was when my life changed. I remember going to uh, going to the chief of the department, who used to be my captain. So you know he was one of the one of the guys. Only this guy's got promoted now. And uh, the production company went to the chief and they said, you know, one of your firefighters, Dave Seymour, you know, he's part of a, a reality TV show, flipping houses, you know, taking shitty homes and putting them back into the community. We'd like to incorporate the fire department into that story. You know, what What would we need to do to, to make that happen? The chief turns around and he says, we don't endorse firefighters working on the outside. We want nothing to do with that at all. No, now, this is the same, listen, this is the same prick that was laying rug on his four days off, right, when he was, when he was a captain. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like the hypocrisy of that stuff, Real, it just hurt. Like I would have, I would have given as much as I could to my yeah. brothers in positivity. Think but of when you well. go to give somebody a gift, and they just slap it down. So that was how flipping Boston started. Think of the goodwill that that would have done for the department had it been on a yeah. television show. Let alone, yeah. like, like I've watched the series. I think it's like phenomenal. And you remember, like when this show aired, it was at like the the beginning of all these like development shows. Like we have HGTV up here, and. Yeah, have like I can't remember what it's called, but Chip and Joanna Gaines in Texas. Wait, oh yeah, that show was yeah. like it was it was huge up here, and like you were yeah. ahead of that curve, right? And yeah, you can't yeah imagine we that the royalties or like the, the exposure or just yeah. the sheer goodwill that that department would have gotten from just yeah. showing you like in uniform or showing you you know with your brothers at at a call or something. Who knows? But we won't. Um, spend too much time on, on the what if. So you're a major TV star. You're still a firefighter. I'm more curious just for my own uh, personal interest. What was that like on the job conversation around the hall around you being this TV star and, and at, on TV? You, you, you know, as well as I do, it was, it was a challenge. It yeah. was a challenge. Look, man, we, we, we got a, we got a sand in the Boston market, right? If you put 20 lobsters in a bucket and one tries to climb out of the bucket, the other 19 lobsters are going to pull it back down, right? 
Um, out of, you know, I was on a 230, 240-man department. I'll just leave it at this. Today, there's only three guys that I talk to, right? Yeah. No. I've I, been to funerals. I've been to promotions since leaving the fire department. And the conversations are always cordial. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, oh, look at you. Yeah, that big TV star. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's that kind of shit. And it's like, I didn't go looking for it. I was a financial donkey. It landed in my lap, grace of God. I executed on it. And, you know, I ran into a guy recently. And he got on maybe a year after I did. So he's right around the corner from retirement. And he's like, Davey, what are you doing? I said, you know, I'm doing development work in, in Florida. I got about, you know, X amount of millions in the pipeline. You know, things are good. And the first thing out of his mouth is, hook a brother up. <laughs> I mean, what do you mean hook a brother up? What, you, what, what, what does that mean? You know what I mean? What, you want to move to Florida and go go do some, some framing for me? Or you just want me to write you a check? Or you don't want to go through all of the – the fears, the doubts, the the challenges that I went through. You don't you want you don't want to make any of your own mistakes. You just want all of mine for free. You know what I mean? So it's like that kind of shit just fucking rubs me the wrong way sometimes. But you know, each to their own. I I, I don't I don't compare my my insides with other people's outsides, right? And and I ask that they don't do the same thing. You know, just uh, to thine own self be true. So it was a challenge. We'll, we'll leave it at that. You know what I mean? It, it wasn't easy. Yeah, for sure. And, and you said it there a couple of times. Uh, I don't know how the actual quote goes, but you're the sum of all five or some of the yeah. five closest people. And uh, I think, you know, for anyone that wants to do something that's outside of the conventional punch a clock, mm. come to work, work the overtime, you're going to have struggles trying to get that positive reinforcement from the crowds you're in. Like you need to mm-hmm. remove mm-hmm. yourself from that situation and mm-hmm. surround yourself with like-minded individuals. I love mm-hmm. it. So you had this soapbox to stand on after Flipping Boston aired. You did it for, I think it was what, four or five seasons it ran for? Yeah, they call it three seasons, but it was 29 episodes. So, so you know, run. almost. Yeah, it's a good run. It was a good run. The only reason it stopped was it had some uh, IP legal challenges around it. And A&E and the production company lost the rights um, to produce flipping Boston, flipping Vegas, flipping. So they lost that. It had an IP attached to it, an intellectual property patent. And uh, the guy who started it sued him. He won, made six mil. So we couldn't do the episodes anymore. And once you, once you fall out of Vogue like that and you're not cool. Yeah. You know, it, it, it passes pretty quick. Okay. So flipping Boston winds down. How long after that show ended, did you pull the plug on uh, fire department? I pulled the plug while I was still uh, still filming. Oh, okay. Um, this is going to sound arrogant, and I don't mean it to. It's just a statement of fact. It cost me way too much money to go to the firehouse. The there was um, there was an acceptable structure around our shift work. Right, you could have a guy cover you if you needed some time off. And you needed to do something else. A guy could cover your shift. You know, guys would pay guys for their shifts. You know, it was it was loose. And the attention that was on me, those rules and regulations or loose rules and regulations didn't apply anymore. Yeah. 
and guys were intentionally going out to to hurt me. And I'm like, all right, that's enough of this shit. And I looked at the finances. You know, when you can when you can flip a house in, in the Boston market and make, you know, 40, 50 grand on the back end, how many of those do you need to do before the fire department doesn't become a, a financially viable, you know, place to be in? For me, I I, I moved in different circles. And, you know, opportunities are different, man. I, I started, I was asked to be an educator. I was asked to be in the seminar world. And I would be, all my expenses would be paid. And, you know, you could make anywhere from two grand to 50 grand being on a stage for, for three days. Um, so that, that, that world changed dramatically, like, the expectation of returns and the expectation of income changed. So, I, you know, the fire department, again, if it was financially, I love the job, dude. I love it. You know, you, you commented on my, 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 my lid over there. Like every burn on that leather lid has a story attached to it that, that I don't forget ever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the, sure. the melted Lego Legos that used to be in the helmet to represent my wife and my kids. And, you know, just, just that culture was so, so important to me, but the money wasn't there to make it work. So I, you know, I, I had to leave and with a heavy heart to be frank with you, you know, um, but I hear an engine go by. I still kind of like, here's what's weird. I, so I digress a little bit. Here's what's fucking weird. The tones in our firehouse so if we worked in a double house, there was a different tone for the ladder company and the engine company would go over. But there are on occasions, there are sounds in our community that are similar to the tones in the firehouse. And I might be somewhere, a sidewalk or in a restaurant, and if they're doing an announcement in the restaurant, bing, bang, boom, and they got some kind of sound, they said anything like, I still, I sit up straight. Yeah. My heart rate goes up. You know what I mean? So it's like that. That culture's ingrained in me, but I, I left. I, I I had to leave from there, and my first year. Again, this is not ego; it's just fact. The first year that I was out of the fire department, I paid more in taxes that year than I had earned the prior year in the fire department. I paid more in taxes than I did in earnings the year before in the fire department. So that's how dramatic my my financial. Uh, situation was speaking to like a lot of colorful first responders who have had to exit their chosen fields because of similar reasons and and they're not mm -hmm. bragging they're just spitting facts like you said and it's not us on a soapbox saying it's not smart to be a first responder you need to leave your job we're not saying that and the whole intent right. of this conversation is just to show people that there's there is more to life than just the pension and the pension may not be enough that they're mm -hmm. You know, there, there's other callings. And again, like I'm not sitting here saying that you need to get a side hustle and find a way to make more money, but it all stems to what you want to do in life and how you want to get there. Yeah. And for yeah, sure. you're right. It would be a very tough decision for you to have to leave what, what you love for so many years to go do the uncertain. And obviously it paid off for you. We're going to kind of speed up the timeline here. Yeah. Present, present day, 2023. Yeah. What's Dave Seymour doing? What is Dave Seymour doing? Um, 
so it's interesting for me there was a progression from wholesaling single family houses making a check you know uh single family flips making a bigger check um you know to go through some phases around a hard money lending business private lending business um i've ran coaching and education programs and in just pre-covid um, I just launched um, a, a joint venture with um, a hard money lending company out of California. And uh, we built a machine of a business for uh, hard money loans. So non-QM loans, non-owner-occupied loans, investor loans. We had about 16, 17 million in the pipe. And we were working off of a line of credit from New York with a company called Brixton Capital. And it was a $50 million line of credit. We would originate the loans. The loans would, would be funded by the line of credit, and then that loan was then sold to the secondary markets in New York so that we could replenish the credit line with Brixton. So it was a beautiful, beautiful business plan. You know, we'd rip a couple of points, uh, some spread, and, um, you know, it was, a, it was a really nice, viable business until COVID showed up. So I'm 30, 90 days in, into building this business, COVID shows up, shut down my business in 24 hours. I got 1,700 square feet of office space, nine loan originators, and I'm done. Like Brixton Capital shut down. Paused for a couple of weeks, didn't cry like a baby. Spoke to a couple of guys that I admire and respect in the industry of real estate and finance. Spoke to my now partner, a gentleman by the name of Walter Novicki. Walter Novicki, um, also first responder in the sense that he was major Walter Novicki, special forces, ran an elite group of, um, you know, maybe 20 guys who can't tell you what they did, because if they did, they really would have to kill you. Yeah. And, um, you know, I looked at Walter and he had been in real estate for 30 years, a little bit older than me, a couple of years older than me. I'm like, what's next, brother? And he said, he said, look, man, he said, I've been doing large syndicated deals in his market, which was the Florida market, ever since 2009-10. And he said, um, you know, I do them one at a time. He said, do you think there's an opportunity to raise more money and go bigger on it? He said he, he considered there being opportunities off of the back end of COVID. So that's what we did. We started Freedom Venture Investments. We're a private equity, boutique private equity firm. Um, we've raised anywhere between, I would say we're probably around 75 or a hundred million now in the past four years, put that capital to work in various projects, either development, um, pre-development work, land acquisition, um, repositioning, acquisition of existing structures. Um, so today I focus on raising capital for what we call in the States accredited investors. Uh, you have a similar uh, stature in, in Canada where only certain investors can invest in certain um, assets. Um, you know, I'm in finance, man. I talk about, you know, I talk about waterfall structures and cash on cash returns and internal rates of return and equity multiples. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, I go golfing with guys who, who golf a lot better than I do, but their paychecks or, or their bank accounts are a little stiffer than mine. You know, and it, it's pretty amazing. And here's where it's at. And I, and I can kind of wrap it up like this. I used to earn 200 bucks for an overtime in a firehouse. 
That's what I would make for an overtime. And I would pray that the phone would ring and it'd be my turn to earn 200 bucks. A year ago, 2.2 million was wired into one of my business accounts by a family office that has 2 billion in assets under management because they like what we do in our market and they want to come play in our sandbox with us and be a, you know, a, a finance partner. So that didn't take long. Got, you know, that less than 15 years from praying for 200 bucks for an overtime to people having faith in you to wire you 2.2 million. You know what I mean? So that's what we do today. I raise money, really. I'm a, I'm out begging for pennies so that we can build buildings. It's kind yeah. of interesting. No, and we said before we uh, hit the record button today that it's funny to watch first responders, how they how they transition and evolve from being a single uh, rental property owner and they yeah. scale it. And yeah. I think I think it, it what I'm learning here is more and more podcast episodes we get in the bank here is that first responders are executors and they're driven. So if you give mm-hmm. them an objective, they're going to do what it takes at all costs to execute and they all have like horror stories. And I'm sure like, like you said, no eight or nine, when you were about to lose your house, that mm-hmm. was a defining moment in your character. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's gotten you from that $200 overtime shift to that mm-hmm. $2.2 million wire transfer. So mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I always love these conversations and there you have it folks. This is Dave Seymour, who was a firefighter making 200 bucks on an overtime shift to raising multiples of millions of dollars in capital. So there's the real story and the transition from where you started as an immigrant to what you're doing now. And yeah, it's just remarkable to hear, man. It really is a, a true story. And it's it's fun to be on this side of things interviewing you. Appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me here. It's no worries. You know, it's it's just process. It's choice, yeah. right? It's choice. And and I'll end with this if I may. And you just hit on it. Give me a target. Give me a target. Incident commander, take the inch and three quarter to the second floor. Sweep the second floor. If there's anybody up there, make sure that the rescue company knows and get them out of there. You know, give it, get like clear direction. Give me a target and I'll execute. And it's the same in business. If I got something to hunt for and, and aim for, watch out because that's the way we are. It's the way we're wired. We're going to go get it done. So sure. you can too, right? Hey, Dave, before I let you go, will you hang around for our responder roundup? Sure. Awesome. Hey, everyone. Real quick. The Responder Roundup is brought to you by SGS Mortgages, helping Canadians achieve wealth through real estate. For a no-commitment 15-minute chat, go to www.chatwithscott.ca to see if we can help you. Okay, so it's six quick questions for our listeners to get to know the real Dave Seymour. So question number one, what's one book that you've read in the last 12 months that you'd recommend? Um, rules, R-U-L-E-S, Rules of a Knight, K-N-I-G-H-T. Okay. Uh, a story about a, a knight in Cornwall before he goes into a knight of battle, and it talks about being a man, being a good man, being a friend among friends, just a, just a really good book on the personal development side. Okay. Question number two, if you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? <laughs> That's not an easy one to answer. I've, I've been trying to not eat carbs. Um, it's got to be pizza, right? I mean, yeah. if, if it doesn't matter if I die fat and unhealthy, it's got to be pizza. You know what I'm saying? Favorite quote? Favorite quote. Um, speak calmly, but carry a big stick. Um, 
I kind of I kind of butchered the quote, but it's it's Churchill, right? Just just carry a big stick, know when to know when to wield it. Yeah. Favorite movie or TV show of all time? Goodfellas. Not flipping Boston. No, Goodfellas. Okay. Favorite <laughs> city to travel to in your home state? Boston. Yeah, yeah, I'd be hard pressed not to go there too. Okay, final question for you, and I'll let you get out of here. One thing you've purchased for under a thousand dollars that has had a positive impact in your life, either professionally or personally. Under a thousand bucks impact in my life positively. This is going to sound goofy. Podcast and equipment, a good camera and a good microphone. Yeah, really, it really does. It allows you to meet some really cool people. Perfect. So I would say that. Okay, Dave. Uh, again. Very uh, thankful you came on today and shared your story with our listeners. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of First Responder to Riches. We hope you found value in this episode and ask that you click the follow button on your preferred podcast platform. And please take a minute to leave a five-star review. Your feedback and positive reviews help us reach more first responders like you who are seeking financial freedom. Thank you once again for tuning in. Until next time, stay safe, stay inspired, and keep investing in your future.